Lifestyle choices and environmental factors impact your brain health and the physiology and psychology of your mental health. When you're ready to turn your brain on to get your game on, listen to In Your Head Radio. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson. So we have got a really interesting show today, and I am honored to have Dr. James Greenblatt. He's a pioneer in the field of functional and integrative medicine. He's board-certified child and adult psychiatrist, been treating patients since 1988. He started off receiving his medical degree and completing his psychiatry residency at George Washington University. Dr. Greenblatt completed a fellowship in child and adolescent psychiatry at John Hopkins Medical School. He currently serves as the chief medical officer at Walden Behavioral Care in Walton, Massachusetts, and an assistant clinical professor of psychiatry at Tufts University School of Medicine and Dartmouth College Giesel School of Medicine. He's a busy man. He's also written seven books, including a bestseller, finally focused, the breakthrough natural treatment plan for ADHD. And we're going to talk a lot about that today. His latest book, Answers to Anorexia, was released in October 2021. And his newest book, Functional and Integrative Medicine for Antidepressant Withdrawal, will be available this month. That's something for all of us to to pay attention to. He is the founder of Psychiatry Redefined. That's an educational platform that's really dedicated to the transformation of psychiatry, offers all kinds of resources, online classes, webinars for professionals. Dr. Greenblatt, thank you so much for being with me today. Uh, Lee, it's my pleasure talking with you. Well, you know, I'm so excited because you really, you look at things the way holistically. You look at the biological, the genetic, the environmental factors that are associated with the psychiatric disorders, and you look at the way that influences the brain and behavior. Instead of looking at it and just saying, what's the right medication? No, absolutely. I kind of make this joke that the field of psychiatry has forgotten, you know, that we have a neck, that whatever happens in the body you know, happens in the brain. It's uh, one physiology, and um, the reflex is just uh, medications for psychiatry, and medications sometimes can be helpful. But as we look at nutritional deficiencies and metabolic problems and gut problems, we often find very significant factors that exacerbate um, mental illness or psychological symptoms. Well, and I hear what you're saying. You know, if you look beyond just what's presenting, if you dig a little deeper, there's a wealth of information down there. Yes, and, and, you know, science, we've had the research for many, many years, but it's just not part of our medical culture to think beyond medication. So the, the good news is I think both consumers, patients, and the medical community is now looking and doing research on how the gut affects the brain. And there's more articles being published on nutritional deficiencies and mental illness. So I think the times are changing and people are ready for this information. I think you're right. And, and my book, Turn Your Brain On to Get Your Game On, I wrote a chapter in there about how the, the gut's your second brain. And it's the more I've learned even since then, the more convinced I am that 
the gut and the brain have a, a huge connection. You've done a lot of research and work in that area. Yes, you know, across all, all the books that we've written, you know, from depression to even anorexia, it's clear, as you stated, that the uh, the health of the gut, the, the bacteria uh, that lines the gut, um, you know, affects the neurotransmitters in the brain, affects behavior, and oftentimes can be uh, the major factor in a uh, treatment plan for somebody with a major mental illness. Well, you know, I feel like whenever I get nervous, I feel it in my gut. Whenever I have some intuition, and you, I call that sometimes I think that's spiritual, sometimes I think that's just my gut, uh, but I do feel it there. And it's the same times that, you know, I feel the emotions in my brain, I feel them in my body. So I, the, the whole way approaching the gut-brain connection, that to me offers a whole different type of solutions. Yeah, I think the, the important message there is that, as you described, we're all familiar with kind of that feeling that our emotions or our thoughts can affect our gut. Um, but it's the other way around. It's a two-way street. So uh, inflammation in the gut, abnormal bacteria after taking an antibiotic or eating a lot of, you know, refined uh, food, it'll affect the bacteria. And then those changes will directly affect the brain. So it's a two-way street, and we're only beginning to understand how significant this connection is. Well, I think the first the, the first thing that intrigued me was when I learned that neurotransmitters come from the gut. Uh, absolutely, we uh, some of the major ones like serotonin is almost most of the neurotransmitters in the body are produced in the gut. And uh, there's fascinating mechanisms between some nutrients uh, like vitamin D, which enhances serotonin in the brain, which is what we want to support the serotonin healthy brain function, but it suppresses serotonin in the gut. Uh, it's different enzymes and different uh, things because if you have too much serotonin in the gut, you'll get inflammation. So it's a very... Uh, intriguing, complicated balancing act between the serotonin in the gut and the serotonin in the brain. Well, and glutamate, because I work with a lot of anxious, depressed um, people with, with some behavioral issues, and glutamate is a neurotransmitter that has been linked to those, so I'm always interested in learning more about that. I think, um, you know, all the neurotransmitters are kind of in balance because um, they're stimulating and they're uh, kind of inhibiting. And, and glutamate is one of those kind of excitatory stimulating neurotransmitters that's important for learning. Um, but it's also balanced by um, uh, other neurotransmitters uh, like GABA. And so we're always looking for a balance. And in, in my work, uh, some of the most important things that I've found with those struggling with uh, psychiatric problems is that oftentimes they're deficient in the amino acid precursors to making these uh, neurotransmitters like serotonin and glutamate in the brain. Well, and, and those precursors, don't they come from the nutrition, from what you eat? A absolutely. They come from protein. 
So your body has to get adequate protein, and I worry about some of our vegan colleagues who aren't getting adequate protein. So you need adequate protein, but as we get older or if we're under stress and we don't have proper digestion or digestive enzymes to break that protein down to the amino acids for your body to make the serotonin, dopamine, and uh, glutamate. So it's a complicated process of adequate protein, but then adequate digestion and absorption. So I've heard the term leaky gut quite a bit. I really don't know what that means. And I think there's probably a lot of our listeners that have heard that term and don't know what it means either. I think it's a it's a very uh, kind of overused term, but very important term, because it just, again, reflects uh, the integrity of our gut, and that oftentimes is this, I think of four to five pounds of bacteria in our colon that lines our intestine that, that provides uh, one nutrients for us and protects health and uh, breaks down many of the foods that we eat. So if there's an imbalance uh, of some of the good bacteria, then there's potentially uh, destruction of of some of the lining of the gut, and you can get both uh, immune complexes, you develop food allergies, and you can develop other reactions to food that might otherwise um, you've been able to tolerate. And when our body starts seeing uh, foods, um, that aren't properly digested, we have an immune response, and that's what everyone's talking about now with inflammation as being such a critical part of so many major health problems. Oftentimes, that starts with a leaky gut. Well, let me ask you a question. Can a leaky gut lead to a leaky brain? Well, many people have said that, and it certainly makes sense. The the, um, the brain has this uh, blood-brain barrier that keeps out toxins, keeps out immune complexes, and without adequate um, uh, nutrition, um, lots of things that are critical to, to strengthen uh, that the blood-brain barrier, things like vitamin C and collagen and uh, a class of phytochemicals I call OPCs, the things in blueberries and grape seeds that make that uh, blood-brain barrier strong. If, if that is weak, then absolutely food allergy complexes um, could cross the blood-brain barrier and create inflammation in the brain. We see that all the time. So, you know, growing up, my mom always told me, you are what you eat. And what I'm hearing you say is you are what you eat. You know, I, I've been using that term as well. Um for many, many years, and I think it's so simple and so important, but I've also started using the term, um, you are what you don't eat, um, because so many of our kids are just not getting some of these nutrients uh, that are essential for brain health from their diets. So absolutely, our dietary intake affects our mood, behavior, um, but our deficiencies also can affect our mood and behaviors. So it sounds like nutrition is one of the first things that you look at. Uh, over the years, it's really been um, the most important kind of what I call foundation uh, that should be assessed in every patient struggling with a behavior or mood problem. 
Because if we don't understand if there's either a genetic vulnerability to nutritional deficiencies or environmental or due to inflammation or a celiac disorder, then um, we, we have nowhere to go. So yes, nutritional deficiencies are the core approach to the workup of any um, uh, child or adult that I see for ADHD or depression. Well, do you look at their sleep patterns? Uh, sleep is, is probably one of the most important um, behaviors in uh, understanding and regulating a mental health. So sleep assessment is critical and getting someone to feel better and function better, uh, regulating uh, a sleep pattern is critical. Absolutely. So to me, your diet and your sleep, those are lifestyle choices. And I work with a lot of clients that do not want to alter their lifestyle choices. And I mean, we, we both know how important sleep is. The only time those little glial cells can come out and clean up that mess that the neurons and dendrites make when they're wiring and firing is when you're asleep. And we all know, I mean, I know when I go out and have a big lunch, heavy on carbs, I come back and I know how I feel. I don't feel good. So I don't know if I'm not finding the right way to send the message or I don't know if there's a better way to send the message. How do you send that message on the importance of sleep and diet? Well, one of the things that, that I, I really try hard uh, to do as a clinician is, is develop that therapeutic alliance with the patient because they're, they're probably seeking help because they, they don't have the energy or the motivation to go to the gym or to eat right or to cook. And so my first job is, as you described earlier, that nutritional assessment. And oftentimes, if we pick up a B12 deficiency or an iron deficiency, anemia, that if we treat that, they just kind of develop the energy and the motivation to be more involved in treatment, in all aspects of treatment, both exercise, both therapy, and making dietary changes. Well, you're so correct. I mean, that therapeutic alliance, building that trust so that people do feel safe, because there are a lot of times when people come to the Brain Performance Center, they feel like they're broken. I can't tell you how many times I've heard the words, my brain is broke. It just won't work anymore. And I think that providing them a safe place is the first step in, in helping them to heal. It is just the, the, what I keep using the term foundation because, you know, whether we're building a house or getting someone's health back, if we don't have those foundational nutrients to allow the brain to optimally function, um, we just feel terrible. So how, does the, how do those two things play into ADHD? Well, you know, like many of the, the psychiatric disorders we, we see, um, as a child psychiatrist, you know, ADHD likely has a genetic vulnerability, so it tends to run in families, so there's a neurochemistry. And then what we see, there's lots of environmental factors that aggravate um, some of these symptoms, and the symptoms are uh, variable attention, poor impulse control, uh, uh, poor motivation. And so what we find, and, and the research has been established for many years, that those are all 
exacerbated by things like food allergies, by trace mineral deficiencies of zinc and magnesium, by abnormalities in the gut. Some kids have been on multiple antibiotics, might have overgrowth of yeast or bacteria that are contributing to behavior. So our job, or my job, is, is trying to help assess these biological factors that are, you know, getting in the way of these kids um, functioning to their optimal potential. Because it's, it's nothing to do with intelligence, nothing to do with motivation. It's uh, this medical complication that can be treated. Well, and I mentioned to this earlier, I loved it when I saw on your website that ADHD is not a behavioral problem. It's a medical disorder. And I think that so many people don't look at it that way. And it's probably a, a lack of information. That's not the way that it's it's discussed in the schools. And discussed, it's, in schools, it's always discussed as the behavioral problem. Can't sit down, can't stay in his chair, quite can't, you know, has to tap the kid on the back. So, I mean, the focus is on what you the actions, but that's what I hear you say is that's not what's driving the car. Right. And, and you know, just our model of treating this as a behavior problems, it implies that these children are, are doing these behaviors on purpose. So you get frustrated as a teacher or parent or sibling. And then the dynamic of... Um, these kids feeling bad about themselves, low self-esteem, not ever kind of working up the potential just sets up this vicious uh, cycle. And, and we know untreated ADHD is just higher rates of uh, financial problems, divorce, uh, economic problems, work problems, again, because it's biologically driven, but it's easily treated. And so as we treat this disorder, self-esteem is what is critical in the um, process of feeling better. Well, you know, I have this is just a personal opinion, but I honestly believe that a larger percent of the people that are incarcerated suffer from ADHD, impulsive behaviors, poor decision making, no thinking through of the consequences. Um, and again, that's just a personal opinion. But certainly you see all of those things resulting in taking action that's not appropriate. Absolutely. I think it's clear that our prisons are um, made up of many major psychiatric illnesses and certainly ADHD with poor impulse control, um, you know, affects uh, individuals. We actually, um, the last book I wrote is on eating disorders, that we have a strong correlation between ADHD and binge eating and obesity, uh, particularly in women. So, Untreated ADHD, um, which was ignored for many, many years, um, can be kind of destabilizing for many, many individuals. Well, it's interesting because I usually see people that have anxiety or depression usually have some ADHD and their breakdown. When I do a, an assessment, it's objective data. But more times than not, it will show there's some cognitive issues, whether it's word recall, whether it's planning, whether it's focus and attention. There's always that link. And when I think about it, you know, if, if I know I'm having to work four times harder than you are and I'm barely getting a decent grade, that's going to be very frustrating. 
that can be very overwhelming. So I, I definitely think ADHD is a problem that has been minimized in society. Yes, and, and you know, the information now that's coming out, certainly to doctors and clinicians, are from drug companies because there's more and more medications that are being marketed, and, and that's really the only message that's out there. And, you know, the reason we wrote the, the book, uh, Finally Focus, is to make sure parents knew there was alternatives, alternative treatments that can be used with or without medications and can be um, very effective without side effects. Well, let's talk about the book, because I think that there's a, a lot of good information. So if, if you would say there are five takeaways from that book, what would those five takeaways be? Uh, probably the most important um, is that every child with ADHD is different. Um, and the second, uh, maybe what we said earlier, that the, if you see it as a parent as a biological medical illness, um, where we're not blaming um, the children, that we're looking for solutions. And then, you know, part of the solution is we, we use the plus-minus plan kind of as, as a overarching theme to help parents understand. So there are things uh, plus that the kids might need, and these would be deficiencies of nutrients, and magnesium is being the most common, um, and zinc is also part of that, the essential fatty acids. And then minus, you know, the minus plan is um, looking at, at heavy metals. Um, lead is, is uh, certainly underappreciated, but the most common thing we see is high copper. Um, it's in the water supply. These kids are drinking it in the elementary schools. And high copper uh, is associated with many of the behavior problems we label as ADHD. Well, what can you do about that? I mean, if it's, let's say it's an adult, let's say you've been, you know, drinking that water for 30 years and do you have so much copper in your system that you can't detox? Um, well, most of the time we can treat it quite easily, actually, because what happens when there's too much copper is zinc, it's like a seesaw, your zinc levels go down. And then it's the combination of high copper affecting the brain as well as the low zinc. And so the treatment is just zinc, um, which is deficient. And then oftentimes we use certain nutrients like a vitamin C, OPCs, or something called the polic acid to help bring out the extra copper uh, to minimize the effects. So it, it's very treatable, uh, but the earlier we, we understand it, the easier it is to treat. Wow. You know, I saw something on your website that talked, it was mind over symptoms. And it talked about how you believe that adding mindfulness to your child's treatment program could be very helpful. Yeah, I think this is sometimes hard for parents to think about when they have a hyperactive, impulsive ADHD kid. Um, but, but the research is clear, and I've been doing this for 35 years, that some of these um, sports, like uh, you know, the martial arts and karate, where parents didn't expect their child to be able to focus, pay attention, where they do really well, and then you know, mindfulness exercises. Uh, we have research, and it's not necessarily mindfulness exercises where we're asking the child to sit and meditate for an hour. That there are mindfulness approaches where 
You can be moving. You can be walking uh, in the woods. You can be in a circle. And um, mindfulness is just a, kind of a, an awareness and helping our children become more aware of the present has really affected um, many kids and it improves attention. So mindfulness programs have been an important part of the ADHD treatment model for many years now. Well, what do you think about music therapy? Well, I think um, many of the um, uh, art therapies, the creative therapies, uh, are just so underutilized in psychiatry. Um, I have many ADHD kids who you know, can't pay attention to school, but they could play the guitar for six hours or, or listen to music. Um, so the other piece that I can't tell you how many times I've had to tell parents to forget it is some of our ADHD kids um, are actually focused better when there is music in the background. So parents for years would say, you know, shut the TV off or shut the radio off. You can't listen to music while you study. Um, but for the ADHD individual, oftentimes that background music can help sync their ability to pay attention. So the goal is to individualize it, to let our kids tell you how they focus and pay attention. And I've just found uh, music to be just an incredible adjunct uh, to treatment for so many children with ADHD. And many are gifted musicians. I think that that brings joy to a lot of people's heart because I can't tell you how many clients, you know, when it's they can't just sit in the silence and it's not because they don't want to. And, and that's what their spouse or their partner will say. They just can't sit in the silence. They just choose not to. And it's I don't believe that's the case. I believe there's another there's always a reason. And you've you've got some great stuff on your website. Um, and that website is James greenblattmd.com and we'll talk more about what's there but the, all the things that we've talked about with ADHD are there and lots of good information and the type of information that personally I don't want to just look at it once I want to look at it a couple of times to be able to kind of break it down and, and really apply it apply it personally and apply it professionally in my clinic so we've got a lot more to, t to talk about. We've got one minute left before we go to break. And I think that what I just want to remind our, our listeners is, is that the way that you approach a problem determines the answer that you find. And that goes back to what you said in the very beginning. You've got, when you have a problem, whether it's physical or mental, you've got to dig deep. You've really got to look at everything that's going on, not just what we all want is that quick answer. Fix it. Fix it now. We live in that instantaneous world. But sometimes it'll well be worth it to slow down, look at all the things that come into play, give everything equal consideration, and find a treatment solution that is sustainable and that will last. So stay with us. When we come back from break, we've got all kinds of things to talk about. We'll be back after these messages. 
Would you like to know how to bring more ease to all the decisions you need to make in life? Knowing your core values is the first step in Joyce's free live masterclass. You'll discover your top five core values in as little as 45 minutes. Join her now at freegiftfromjoyce.com. Recently, my husband and I were driving to Colorado when we saw a huge shooting star streaking across the sky. Boy, were we bum squabbled. Sky wonkies know that shooting stars and falling stars are both names that describe meteors. Streaks of light across the sky caused by small bits of interplanetary rock and debris vaporizing high in the Earth's upper atmosphere. The rare few that survive and hit the ground are known as meteorites. The largest meteorite still existing on Earth is named Hoba West. It's 9 by 9 by 3 feet and weighs 66 tons. That one must have made a polyphlesbian or an incredible racket when it hit. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. back. Now here is your host, Lee Richardson. We're back and we're just having the best conversation. Dr. Greenblatt is just full of information and I learned something from him that blew me away. And that learning is that every second someone develops dementia in the world. That's just every second. Talk to us about that, Dr. Greenblatt. Sure. I mean, I think that's why, you know, our pharmaceutical companies are spending billions of dollars over the last 20, 30 years trying to find a drug because they know um, they'll make a lot of money. But they've, they've been unsuccessful because uh, what has also been clearly established is Alzheimer's and dementia develops over time. There's a 20, 30, some people say 40 year prodrome uh, of when changes in the brain um, start to uh make it harder um, for the brain to function. And it's that kind of prodromal 30 years that is an opportunity for us to take care of our health. And that's why all these lifestyle changes that people talk about, sleeping, exercising, diet, you know, will minimize that um, progression of this illness, uh, which is likely due to um, inflammation and uh, destruction of, um, you know, brain cells. And, you know, there are also other nutrients and lots of uh, new research looking at nutritional uh, supplements, both based on the diet, like everything from grapes and blueberries um, to a a nutritional um, supplement that I've been uh, researching and looking at for 30 years now is the trace mineral lithium. So when you say lithium, I think of that powerful drug that's out there. And that's, I know that's not what you're talking about. Right. No, that's uh, everyone thinks about it because it is a medication uh, that's used to treat bipolar illness. And it's also got a reputation of uh, side effects and people using high doses for psychiatric patients. 
But lithium is just a fascinating uh, story for me because it's a mineral. It's in the earth. It's a mineral in the periodic table, if you remember chemistry. And it was actually one of the first three elements in the Big Bang before the earth was even formed 13.8 billion years ago. It was hydrogen, helium, and a little lithium. And then when the earth was formed four billion years ago, it was lithium that was in the earth's crust. And, you know, we developed with this trace mineral and critical for brain function. And it's, it's in the water supply. Um, and if you remember stories of lithium spring baths every, every, from Greece uh, to even places in the United States. People would take these mineral baths. There's places in Georgia um, these were lithium hot springs. So people understood the healing powers of lithium for many years. And even um, the soft drink, 7-Up, that was originally conceived as a lithiated soft drink, 7 being the atomic weight of lithium, and Up is supposed to lift your mood. So up until like 1930, 7-Up was a drink that was supposed to lift your mood because it had lithium in it. So that's the beginning of this uh, nutritional supplement that now research has uh, demonstrated that it has preventative properties for the neuropathological changes that occur during the course of uh, dementia and Alzheimer's. That's so interesting about 7-Up. I, I love the little trivia points like that. But as I said, you know, when I, I've heard the term lithium and I'm I, I get the big... Oh, no, because I just think of it as a medication. But what you're saying is that lithium can really be used as a therapy. Yes, we use them, you know, over-the-counter vitamins. We have a milligram or two milligrams of lithium. We probably all get a couple milligrams, you know, in our diet and water supply. And um, for some individuals, um, they require that extra lithium to support their mood, it's particularly helpful for irritability, and oftentimes we use it for uh, aggression and impulse control in the uh, ADHD kids we were talking about. Well, it's interesting because, you know, when I think about the different approaches that I've, I mean, I'm always brainstorming. I'm always trying to to think of, a, of an approach, something other, and I'm not licensed for medication, don't have any desire to be. But I'm always thinking of another approach and just to think of something that it's been in the dirt. You know, it's been all around us for all these years, but our dirt has become so depleted. Can we are are there still those types of minerals out there? Well, I mean, you know, our farming um, practices, we, we, we don't replete a lot of the minerals. That's why I think magnesium is such a common deficiency. Uh, but yes, and the part of our, the basis of our practice is, is nutritional testing because we can't always tell from dietary intake who might be deficient um, and, and who might be okay. So testing is really critical to begin that treatment plan of knowing what a nutritional support someone might need. So when you say looking at different ways to assess you know the first thing that comes to mind is the blood work what other ways do you look at 
Uh, what other types do you mean? Hair analysis? They're just, are there different things that you apply? Yeah, sometimes we would look at hair analysis for, for heavy metals. Uh, there are urine tests where we look at metabolites of the gut bacteria. And, and then, yeah, the blood tests help us with micronutrient deficiencies, fatty acid deficiencies, hormone deficiencies. So it really is a, um, a, a big overview to understand how to develop a personalized treatment plan for that individual. Well, it amazes me because dementia, Alzheimer's, I mean, it's, we're all aging. The fastest growing age group is 100 plus. So, and I, I hear people say, well, you know, we're probably all going to suffer from it. And my response to that is I certainly hope not. And what you're saying is if you take the time and if you do the proper, build the proper foundation, find out where your cracks are that you can fix them. And does it matter? I mean, if you're 60 years old, is it too late? Uh, absolutely not. I mean, uh, you know, I, I don't treat Alzheimer's, but I do treat uh, the elderly people with cognitive decline. And people coming to our office worried about memory and could this be Alzheimer's. And, and we do some blood tests and, and they have a vitamin B12 deficiency that nobody addressed. I think one of the most significant findings in, in our book on Alzheimer's that I wanted to share is that we have 20 years of research that looked at one blood test called homocysteine. And if that's elevated, it uh, doubles the risk of getting uh, Alzheimer's or cognitive decline. And so it's a simple blood test. And the treatment is very simple. It's a treatment with B vitamins, B6 and B12 and folate. And if everyone could get that test in their 50s, um, we would prevent a lot of cognitive decline. So what's the name of the test? Why can't people ask their doctor when they go in for an annual to, to have that test? I think they should. I don't know why they don't. Uh, sometimes cardiologists look at it because it's a risk factor for heart disease. And there are some psychiatrists that are now looking at it. Um, I, I draw that uh, level on every patient that I've seen over the past 20 years. I, I think recently some insurance companies might uh, argue with it, but it's um, a very simple blood test and the implications are profound, but the, the good news is the treatment is so simple. So what is the name of that test? I'm going to request it on my annual physical. Homocysteine. Okay. The homocysteine level, the routine blood test that any lab would have it. And if it's elevated, now not everybody will be elevated, but if it's elevated, it reflects a nutritional deficiency of one of the B vitamins. And if it's elevated, we have incredibly good research, international research, demonstrating it's a risk factor for cognitive decline, as well as depression, stroke, and heart disease. So you said that's if it's elevated. What if you don't have enough? And it's rare. Most of the time, um, you know, it, people have normal levels. It's really only elevated is a problem. Oh, okay. Well, you know, we've been talking about, you're talking about the vitamin Bs for the brain. What about omega-3s? Yeah, I think omega-3s are critically important for, for mental health. 60% of the brain is fat. 
Uh, all of it is omega-3s, but much of it is. And, and again, the research over many years have demonstrated deficiencies in omega-3 affects almost every major psychiatric illness from anxiety, depression. We have research from the U.S. military that low omega-3s actually can predict suicide risk. So we know how important it is. I think sometimes the problem when people hear about a vitamin or mineral, they think everybody, you know, with depression uh, is a omega-3 deficiency. And it's not always that simple, but it is one of the more common deficiencies that we see, like magnesium, and it's also very simple to replete, particularly if you're not eating uh, fatty fish. So you mentioned the suicide. Is there is there anything? What do studies show are effective treatments to help with suicide prevention? Yeah, I think we've put a lot of energy into awareness. We put a lot of energy into medications for depression, but our suicide rates continue to increase. And part of it is, I believe, we've completely ignored the neurobiology, what, what are some of the biological risk factors? And, and some of these are quite clear uh, in the research that demonstrated this. One is inflammation, inflammation in the brain. That could be the head injury or other uh, immune problems. Number two, we talked about the omega-3 deficiency. Number four, that is not discussed a lot, is cholesterol deficiency. There's some Individuals that have very, very low cholesterol, total cholesterol. It's very unusual. There's numbers of like under 100, 120, and that's a risk factor. And then the, the last thing, which we mentioned earlier, which I think is the most dramatic, is actually low levels of that lithium, that trace mineral lithium. And uh, many international studies have just been published within the past year looking at hundreds and hundreds of thousands of individuals and if you live in a community with low lithium in the drinking water, you have a much higher risk of suicide. Well, I am so happy to hear you talk about suicide prevention because from 2000 and, no, 1999 to 2019, suicide rates have increased 33%. So, and those, those are pre-pandemic rates. I only wonder what the effect of the pandemic has had on us. I mean, we've had more isolation. We've had loss of community. We've had so many things that can contribute to putting someone in a, in a suicidal state. So I encourage people to really think about the, the simple things that you've talked about. Um, pre prevention is the answer. We both know that, but it's not an easy answer to get to. So Correct. kind of switching gears on you. Sure. So it, and let's go to depression, because I have noticed in the last year, the people that come to my clinic are more severely depressed. And and they'll say that they'll say, you know, it didn't used to be this bad. And in my the way I look at things, there's four things that puts the brain in a dysregulated state. Genetics, physical head trauma, emotional trauma and stress. And the last couple of years have had a lot of emotional trauma and a lot of stress. And I feel like that we're going to see the psychological impact of quarantine and job loss and economic insecurity for a long time in the future. 
So let's talk about depression. Yeah, I think it's um, it, it's epidemic. I, I think you know people call it the, the second pandemic. Uh, uh, one you know fact that we often uh, kind of ignore, but was really striking to me, is that depression is actually the number one global disability. Whereas more people are impaired, their lives are impaired, their quality of their life are impaired with depression more so than chronic um, uh, health problems, diabetes, heart disease, kidney disease, etc. So it is a global problem. It impairs the quality of one's life. And our current treatment model of just medication is only partially effective. Not everyone gets better. And the side effects of medications are pretty devastating for some. So we need a better alternative. Well, we do. And I think the biggest problem, a lot of people, I've 60% of the people that have mental health illness don't seek help because of the stigma associated with it. And sometimes that, that stigma comes from within, you know, shame on you, you know, just power through it. It's your fault that things aren't working. Uh, and sometimes that stigma comes from our friends and our families. They don't understand why we isolate. They don't understand why we can't do what they expect us to do. And there's stigma associated in the workforce. I mean, I've had people say, I don't want that person on my team. They're always depressed. So there's so much stigma around mental health. And I think that that is creating, it's a block. It, it, it's a huge block for people to get help. But if people could hear a message that you you talk about mental health the same way that other doctors talk about physical health. Hey, if your leg is hurt, we need to look at that. We need to figure out what's going on. But people don't think of, of mental health that way. Yes, it's, it's, it's frightening. Um, as I said, you know, what, what happens in the body happens in our brain. And, and some of the stigma is, is slowly being lifted. Some people can talk about it. But as you said, it's that self-shame um, and stigma that, you know, I should be able to do this. I don't need help. That just uh, continues to be so prevalent in our society. And that's where I, and granted, I am a licensed professional counselor. I do CBT, but that's where I really do see the value of CBT because negative thoughts create negative feelings that create negative behavior. And if we can stop and just consider that as maybe a first step before you go to a medication, it might improve our mental health. Yeah, I mean, there's so many things that we could do, you know, to support our, our, our moods and our mental health. And as you said earlier, there's many that might have a, um, a genetic vulnerability and need to be uh, more uh, careful and, and monitored more carefully. Others um, can utilize, you know, colleagues, therapy, mindfulness, uh, but we need a better place um, to understand that depression is, is also a medical illness and needs treatment. And depression has a sibling called anxiety. Talk to us a little bit about anxiety. Sure. I mean, it, it's by far the most common symptoms that uh, kids go to college health centers, the most common symptoms uh, individuals go to clinics for the in the military and um, 
you know, one of the most common uh, complaints that any mental health uh, program gets. So it's it's really rampant, and um, part of it is understanding, as you described, how our thoughts uh, affect our feelings, and part of it is understanding how our health, our, based on stress and lifestyle, affects our ability to cope and deal with um, stress. And, and some of it is a, a serious psychiatric illness that needs um, much more careful nutritional testing and monitoring. Well, when I think of anxiety, you know, kind of the basic fight or flight or freeze, and the clients that come in when they're in the anxious mode, they're in that fight or flight. And when they're in the depressed mode, they go into that freeze. So keeping that autonomic nervous system in balance uh, the way I look at it, of course, correlates to keeping the brain in balance. Are there certain strategies or techniques that you apply to the, well, I guess you don't separate the autonomic nervous system and, this, and the brain, do you? Not, not initially. I mean, I think my goal is to find out where the uh, major holes are and, and fill those deficiencies. And, and sometimes, you know, they, they are... Um, some of the nutrients we're talking about, but you know, oftentimes, uh, you know, you know, I I, I can uh, see someone's got a B12 deficiency when you pre B12, and and guess what? They're still struggling with anxiety and nightmares, and and that's when they share either you know an abusive relationship or a past trauma or other aspects um, of of their life that they haven't um, been ready to talk with. So, you know, we try to see it in stages. And again, the term therapeutic alliance, we start where the patient is and feels comfortable, um, but absolutely balancing the autonomic nervous system and uh, helping individuals kind of modulate that fight or flight response is critical for resilience and, and health. Well, and resilience is something that I feel like everybody has taken a hit in. In the last couple of years, you know, I can't tell you how many people I've heard say, you know, Lee, I used to could pick myself up off the ground, dust off my knees and just keep on walking. And I can't do it anymore. What advice do you have for those? Uh, you know, I think the most important is is is, is hope to, to be able to establish um, a, a purpose and in, in meaning. Um, to kind of drive that hope, because if you, if you lose that, then it, it just becomes overwhelming. And, and I, I think that, you know, the next step is, is taking care of yourself and understanding all that that means. And it's different for every individual. So my message always comes down to appreciating your uniqueness, this concept of biochemical individuality. You're unique in how you look on the outside, but your chemistry is also unique. So you might not need to be on this diet or that diet. Just don't try to copy what's happening out in the world. Just um, focus on what works for you. Well, we've got about four minutes left, and you've got a lot of good things going on on the Internet. Can you tell us what's – I mean, I know there's a free book you can download on irritability and anger, a lithium deficiency disorder. Tell us about what's out there on the web, how people can access you, find out about you. Tell us all about it. Sure. Um, you know, the books that I've written for the 
consumer on depression, ADHD, uh, binge eating. Uh, those, those are all on my website, jamesgreenblattmd.com. And uh, we have a, a program for courses for professionals that want to learn more about integrative and functional medicine for mental health, and that's psychiatryredefined.org. And we're, um, you know, joining forces with a, a clinic to set up a, a virtual clinic to help people with depression and anxiety. So just be for adults, but someone who's um, looking for an integrative or functional medicine approach, looking at nutritional psychiatry. And you can sign up on, on the website if you want to get more information. We should be opening uh, by March 1st. Wow, that's just less than 60 days. That'll be here before we know yes. it. And what about, do you send out e-newsletters? Or I, I, I thought you do some webinars on a regular basis. Sure, yeah. We have um, two or three times a month. We have free webinars. And, you know, our last one was on the, you know, neuroscience of, of, of happiness and laughter, um, which was uh, great. And uh, so those are always free, and those are twice a month. And we have newsletters with information so you can sign up and um, you know we're developing uh, consumer courses so for ADHD and binge eating in particular so uh, yeah please sign up on the web page if you want to hear more about some of the projects we'll be working on next year so is that on James Greenblatt MD or psychiatry redefined uh, psychiatry redefined.org okay Okay, I just wanted to point people in the right direction. And because I have learned so much today. And what really impresses me is, is that it, it's simple. Slow down. Stop and think about the problem. Think about what's causing the problem instead of thinking about how you're going to fix the problem. And just, just shifting the mindset. And I think if we can just help people shift their mindset a little bit, then they're going to be able to look at things a totally different way. You know, is there anything out there? Like, I know there's thousands of mental health apps that are out there. Are, are there any recommendations that you have for apps or mindfulness or, well, or gratitude? Well, one of the, um, the, the companies we're going to be working with uh, is called Round Glass. And Round Glass, I would, I would look at their app because they're focused on mindfulness, meditation, and we'll be working with them in uh, setting up this virtual clinic. So we're merging their specialty, which is mindfulness and um, meditation, with our specialty, which is functional medicine, uh, to develop these treatment programs. So they have um, a very comprehensive um, app well, that is a great piece of information to leave people with. And what is the name of the company again? Uh, Round Glass. Okay. Round G-L-A-S-S. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Greenblatt, for being with us today. I've learned a lot. I've had a, a good time talking with you. And I can't tell you how much I thank you. Lee Richardson and the Brain Performance Center, we want to thank you for listening. 
If you'd like to hear more episodes like this, visit us on iTunes, Google Play, Toginet, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and thebrainperformancecenter.com. Thank you.